Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Prince of Peace has arrived in the Holy Land. Yes, that's right. Tony Blair has arrived for talks with Benjamin Netanyahu. What could possibly go wrong? And Michel Moon did not commit suicide. And neither did Ben Wallace. And Arabia Felix arises. Yemen is where the action is now moving. And like a banana republic, Colorado has removed Donald Trump from the ballot paper next November for the presidential elections. He's only the leading candidate. If that happened in any other country, the United States would be invading to reinstate best democratic practice. And California says it's about to follow suit. We'll be talking to some experts about whether this maneuver is likely to succeed or fail. Well, it's all coming up, including a poll on whether Santa will be safe over Bethlehem this weekend. Will Israel shoot him down with a missile? Or does he have his own iron dome, if you get my drift? We'll be here for the next two hours. Don't leave us. It's the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. It's not like uh, the wise men arriving from the East carrying gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Although there may be gold involved because Tony Blair doesn't do much without gold changing hands. But he is now in the Holy Land and will be talking negotiating on whose behalf, who knows, the WEF, Klaus Schwab, the nascent world government, I don't know, but Tony Blair is there looking suitably demonic. Well, he is about to meet a man even more satanic than him, although that is debatable. What he's going to say to Netanyahu and on whose behalf we can only hazard a guess. But a clue might be in the completely disastrous opinion polls in the United States, which show Joe Biden losing in a landslide to Donald Trump, the putative Republican Party candidate, about which more later. Amongst young voters, hardly anybody at all is going to vote for Joe Biden. Amongst Muslim voters in the United States, nobody at all is going to vote for Joe Biden. At least they're not going to admit that they are to an opinion pollster. God, of course, is another witness. The truth is, Joe Biden has completely wrecked his re-election with his reckless, murderous, largesse, that he has handed over to Benjamin Netanyahu, a man who wouldn't see him uh, coming. 
he would be happy if Joe walked off the end of a stage and cracked his skull, because Netanyahu is that kind of guy. But Joe is absolutely determined to kill as many Palestinian children as possible before he is forced to demand a ceasefire. Joe Biden is on the ballot. Donald Trump may not be. Not only is Joe Biden on the ballot, the stepmother of Hunter Biden, Mrs. Joe Biden, says decency is on the ballot. Decency. Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, shower scenes, heavy breathing in little girls' ears, sniffing under their arms. Decency is on the ballot. Hunter Biden's dad is on the ballot, otherwise known as decency. And other Democrats and their mouthpieces in the mainstream media frequently tell us that democracy is on the ballot paper in November. This despite the fact that the Biden administration has shredded more liberty in the United States than any president ever. Don't even think about Richard Nixon. Don't even think about Ronald Reagan. Joe Biden has slashed the democratic liberties available to the American public like no other president before him. And he's eagerly awaiting the transfer of the world's number one journalist and publisher, Julian Assange, so he can lock him up for 145 years in a Colorado super penitentiary. The idea that democracy is on the ballot, coming from a party that is seeking actively to remove from the ballot, not just their number one opponent, but an opponent who is leaving them trailing in his wake, tells you everything about the sick, cynical hypocrisy of the political class in the United States and elsewhere. I'm coming to that also. The idea you can remove your main opponent and say that democracy is on the ballot is, I mean, Alice in Wonderland. It is words meaning exactly what you say that they mean. Bereft of all content, hollowed out of all meaning. Democracy is on the ballot, but our main opponent is not. Now, you may say it was only a court in Colorado. Interestingly, the Denver-educated judges voted against disqualifying Donald Trump, but the Ivy League judges on the court in Colorado voted to disqualify him, and they prevailed. So at this moment in time, the chief opponent of the sitting president will not be on the ballot paper in Colorado. I thought, well, this will be overturned. There must be multiple levels of appeal uh, that you can overturn this on. But I see now that it is a very clear strategy that is being followed because this evening, uh, the uh, Supreme Court in California 
instructed its Attorney General to examine how they could exclude Donald Trump from the presidential ballot in one of the largest states in the Union with one of the largest electoral college votes, if not the largest. So this is becoming serious. It's making a mockery of America, of course. It's making a mockery of the very idea of decency or democracy. But it's a very perilous course because what they are clearly intent upon doing and all of their civil liberty shredding in the last few months has been in preparation for, they seek to provoke an uprising amongst the supporters of Donald Trump. They seek another January 6th so that they can crack down further, so that they can seek to justify the unjustifiable act of ruling a former president and the leading candidate in the race out of the ballot paper. But sick cynicism is not the prerogative of the United States of America. I wondered why Bonkers Baerbock and uh, David Cameron and President Macron had begun to use the formulation a sustainable ceasefire. They want one. They want a sustainable ceasefire, all of them. Now, all those who vetoed a ceasefire in international fora over the last 75 days, but they want a sustainable ceasefire. Now, so I drilled down today on what they mean. And when you hear from me what their sustainable ceasefire actually means, you'll probably agree with me that there is no sickness of which these people are not capable. David Cameron, who when just Prime Minister of Britain, just 13 years ago, described Gaza as the largest open-air prison camp in the world, which cannot be allowed to continue in this way. Well, he was only Prime Minister. Then, now that he is Foreign Minister, he wants a sustainable ceasefire. Here's what they mean by sustainable ceasefire. They mean that Israel will cease firing when it has convinced itself of the success of its military mission in defeating Hamas in Gaza. Giving the murderers, giving the genociders the right to decide when to cease firing doesn't qualify as a ceasefire even in Alice in Wonderland. It is sand, desert sand, thrown in the eyes of gullible journalists. Only Sky News has called this out. And only this evening has it called it out. Though this has been going around for a whole week, Sky News said tonight that what they mean by a sustainable ceasefire is that Israel can decide when to cease fire. And the war is spreading. It's not just plumbing new depths in Gaza. It's not just murdering record numbers of church parishioners 
in the Holy Family Church, in the church, a Catholic church in Gaza, where an elderly lady and her middle-aged daughter were murdered just a few days ago. The deputy prime minister of Israel said that can't be true because there are no churches in Gaza. There are no Christians in Gaza. That's what she said on television. And of course, the Pope and Cardinal Nichols, uh, the Cardinal uh, Westminster Church, Cathedral rather, made clear, these people are lying through their teeth. We are the pontifical representatives of these Christians in these churches in Gaza that Israel has bombed and destroyed. But the war isn't now confined to Gaza, not even confined to Gaza, Jerusalem, and the West Bank. A new actor has entered the war, Arabia Felix, the original Latin name for Southern Arabia, nowadays the Yemen. I have spoken many times, I hope powerfully, about the purity of the people of Yemen, the purity of their adherence to religion, the purity of their enunciation of the wonderful Arabic language, and the purity of the people in their dignity and self-respect. As I put it uh, on Sunday, uh, they are poor, but they are pure. They are the last Arab country. And they have risen up in defense of the Palestinians under siege, starvation, pestilence, disease, and war in the Gaza Strip. Their demands are simple. You must stop this bombardment. You must lift this siege. Allow the Palestinians food and water and stop murdering them. Or we will intercept any shipping in the Red Sea on its way to or on its way from the state of Israel or any shipping that is owned by Israel. Now, when you put it like that, that's actually something that all the countries in the world should have been doing. That all the Arab countries in the world should have been doing. That all the Muslim countries in the world should have been doing, but it has been left to the poorest Arab people in the entire Arab world to make this stand. And they have made it good. They have already, they have uncannily accurate missiles such that Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and for a time Qatar had to end their war with the people of Yemen because the ability of the Yemenis to destroy the oil infrastructure, the entire oil business of its neighbors became crystal clear. And they have landed their missiles on the decks of Israeli-owned shipping. They have seized Israeli-owned shipping. They have seized and halted shipping going to or from Israel with oil and with weapons and with God knows what else. 
Most people in the world think that the Yemenis have done a noble thing, particularly as they themselves have had to undergo more than a decade of siege and bombardment themselves. But that's the kind of people they are in Yemen. Joe Biden has assembled a coalition to fight little Yemen, poor Yemen. And what a coalition it is. The only Arab country willing to join Joe Biden's coalition to invade and attack Yemen is mighty Bahrain, which is actually just a car park for the US and UK naval forces, both of whom have military bases on the tiny piece of land uh, connected by a bridge to Saudi Arabia. But Saudi Arabia refused to join. The UAE refused to join, and for obvious reasons. Only one Arab country, Bahrain. But they do have the mighty Seychelles on their side. You know that mighty navy of the Seychelles. And they have the might of the Netherlands. I've, I've said before, the Netherlands has a navy? Really? Well, they're sending it. Not to defend the people of the Netherlands, but to stand up for Israel in the Red Sea. But the Yemenis have been very sober, very clear. If you attack Yemen, we will sink all of your ships all your warships, and all shipping in the Red Sea, owned by whomsoever, going wherever, will be halted. We will close the Red Sea, and we will sink, Mr. Biden, any warships that you send against us. So I hope the mothers of the sailors in the Netherlands, in the Seychelles, in Bahrain, in Britain, in Canada, in France, and in the United States. Hear this warning, that after a decade of war, the Yemeni armed forces are amongst the most powerful armed forces in the world. And moreover, they fight not for gold. They fight not for gain. They fight not for territory. They fight for God. They believe more deeply than almost anyone on earth, they believe that they have a religious obligation to rescue the poor Palestinians in the Gaza Strip being murdered wholesale for 75 days. Hear me. Please hear me. The prime ministers and presidents who have dispatched their navies to the Red Sea, no good will come of it. Now, the war has spread to Lebanon. This evening, major Israeli aggression is reported. People have been sniped to death, two of them today, and many others have been murdered in bombardment of private houses in the south of Lebanon. The leaders of the Lebanese resistance have been very clear all along. If you kill our civilians, we will kill your civilians. If you bomb our territory, we will bomb your territory. 
Now, what does all this add up to? It adds up to a war on multiple fronts, and not just for Israel. Because the Iranian foreign minister said tonight that they provide logistical and other assistance to the Yemeni armed forces, and that they will stand by the Yemen until the end of time. That's pretty unequivocal. That's pretty clear. That means if America and its coalition, the Seychelles and the Netherlands, go to war with Yemen, ultimately they're going to be at war with Iran. Maybe that's what they intended all along. But if they go to war with Iran, I'm going to make a risky prediction. And my prediction is that Russia and China will not allow Iran to be defeated by this ragbag of racist military forces assembled in the Red Sea. And then we're back with World War III on the table. I told you it's going to be a bumpy night. Fasten your seatbelts. It's the mother of all talk shows. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Gala Nixon is the wisest, the smartest, and the coolest of our American commentators. It's always a pleasure to see him here on the mother of all talk shows. To talk us through some pretty dramatic developments, Garland. I mean, it's not every day a banana republic decides to take the lead candidate in the election off the ballot so that he can't stand for election, especially when you're claiming that democracy is on the ballot paper. Decency as Mrs. Biden said, is on the ballot paper. Talk us through what's happened. 
Uh, yes, the state of Colorado, um, their highest court has uh, ruled in favor of plaintiffs that um, are arguing that President, um, former President Donald Trump, can't be on at this time, at this point in time, the primary ballot against the other Republicans because he is an insurrectionist. He was involved in an insurrection. What people need to know is that the um, the roots of this particular law call, come from the Civil War. Um, after the Civil War, a number of Confederate uh, politicians returned to Washington, D.C. and said, OK, we're ready to come back and hold our seats in Congress. And of course, there were laws passed that, no, you were involved in an insurrection and you shouldn't be allowed to hold um, to hold office again. And that certainly has has never been used in this manner before. Um, I would have to suspect that the chances of this passing, must, passing muster in the Supreme Court, court aren't really very strong because there's no Fact, uh, uh, factual basis in the argument that President uh, Trump, former President Trump, was actually involved in an insurrection. He has not been formally charged with anything, uh, with being involved in an insurrection. He hasn't been found guilty of being involved in an insurrection. And there has never, other than rhetorically, there it, it has never been legally proven that an insurrection um, occurred. So I don't think that goes past the Supreme Court. However, um, the consequence, if it did, would be pretty grand because there are other states that are attempting to um, to do this, to, to utilize the same uh, the same law and do the same thing. Keep in mind also that Colorado is a blue state that um, President Trump is not likely to win. It's only for the primary anyway, so it's not as consequential as one would think. Um, however, for every action, there's an opposite, equal and opposite reaction. And the likely is, likelihood is that you would start to see those types of things happen in some of the more uh, conservative controlled states. And we'd end up with an election where Joe Biden could only run in, <laughs> could run in blue states. Donald Trump could only run in the red states. And the uh, absurdity of this, uh, of this empire would be pronounced and obvious for the world to see. Yeah, that, you've taken the words right out of my mouth. What's to stop uh, red states taking Joe Biden off the ballot paper because uh, he's uh, been impeached or is about to be impeached or because uh, of what he did in Ukraine or for any number of reasons. Uh, and then we won't have an election at all. Exactly. And, you know, if you've been paying attention to Joe Biden recently, it, it, this reeks of de desperation. You know, Joe Biden recently told us that, you know, uh, um, October 7th was 65 years ago and that his um, Irish Catholic late father was uh, wandering around a kibitz. A kibitz then. I mean, the guy has no clue, you know, what's going on um, at this point. And it just seems that his party is so desperate that they'll try any means necessary uh, to try to get this guy elected. And it, to be quite honest, I got to give him credit because the only way Joe Biden is going to get elected is if he's running against an empty ballot. Otherwise, he, he loses to pretty much anybody. Now, you mentioned that the uh, this was uh, Colorado's highest court. Uh, so when you say Supreme Court, do you mean the Colorado Supreme Court uh, or, or the Supreme Court in Washington? 
No, I mean the surprise, uh, the Colorado Supreme Court, because this had got uh, this had this particular case had been appealed up to the Supreme Court of the of Colorado. Um, so they had found in favor of it, and now it goes out of the state. You know, they used the Colorado Constitution to um, to make the argument that he couldn't be on the ballot. Keep in mind, this is at this point, it is the ballot for the primaries. It would still even that would make a a, a difference because um, Donald Trump's lead in the United States throughout the throughout the, the states and the Republican primary is so pronounced that it's it's not going to change an outcome, but it certainly would be used to, um, that would, we could see that spreading and change the dynamics of elections in the United States for forever. Yeah, it's already spread to California. The district attorney has been tasked with examining whether uh, the whether the same thing could happen there. Now, California is, of course, a state of vastly greater consequence in every way uh, than Colorado. Uh, what's the chances, another blue state, what's the chances of them doing the same thing? If this um, passes muster in the Supreme Court, I would say the chances are high that um, a number of blue states would then attempt to, to attempt to to do the same thing. Now, um, if you look at the actual states, I can see where it would hurt the could potentially hurt the Democrats more than Republicans for this reason. The Democrats have been able to turn a few of the southern states, uh, North Carolina, Georgia, or t during some of the recent elections. Um, and there's a, 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 a huge red state, Texas, which the Democrats have been eyeing and due to demographic changes, feel like they have a chance to win at some point in the future. So if the red state particularly these states that have been teetering on the edge of going to the Democrats uh, decide that they want to step in and do the same thing. It could have a dramatic effect on on the um, on the Democrats. But then as um, questionable as our electoral process is already, this would really be the final nail in the coffin, because if, in fact, the winner of the election depends on you know which state is uh, is blocking which candidate out there, it, it gets to a point where there's no point in people voting anymore, that this is just lawfare. And um, rather than having yeah. to uh, well, you know do what they do with the machines now, it'll be out in the open. Yeah, you might get another civil war, and uh, Trump can be Robert E. Lee, uh, and the Confederates might win uh, this time. So you better look out. Uh, the uh, situation uh, with Ukraine, tell us about that, uh, Garland. Blinken well, has yeah, announced sure. an, an, early Christmas, an early Christmas present for Zelensky that there's nothing in the post after Christmas Day. It's over, isn't it? Possibly. I mean, there, there's. It's, it's, it's certainly possible that sometime after the first of the year that the uh, the Democrats and the Republicans come together and they have another, you know, tranche of money to to um, to supposedly give to Ukraine. As most people know, most of it goes to you know Lockheed Martin, General Dam Dynamics, etc. Right here in the United States, and what's left to be stolen by the Ukrainian and oligar oligarch oligarchs is then shipped overseas. But um, it certainly appears as though the, um, the, 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 the attention of the U.S. empire has shifted from Ukraine to the Middle East. They're, they're done with this, and they will do as history tells us that they have done, in, whether it's in um, uh, Vietnam 
or Afghanistan. When they tire of a particular conflict, they just walk away. Um, as you know, the Ukrainian government, the Kiev regime, is now uh, speaking of um, conscripting up to 500,000 people, including, well, they've said they're not going to be women, but teenagers and people older than either of us. That's kind of frightening. But the, the, the issue becomes, if they um, conscript another half a million people, what are they going to arm them with? They have no, they're, they're about to run out of ammunition. And um, I think even more importantly, there are people getting poisoned. There are people getting uh, Christmas presents and birthday uh, presents with live, live grenades. It certainly appears as though the Kiev regime is on the border of some kind of internal collapse or civil war on its own. Now, uh, Yemen, that's your next port of call. Uh, I don't know if anybody in Washington knows anything about Yemen. Uh, I myself have studied it, followed it uh, for, for 50 years, more than 50 years, ever since I saw the Scottish soldiers in their kilts getting their bare backsides handed to them by the Yemeni people after taking control and murdering significant number of Yemenis in the port of Aden, uh, the crater district. I've never forgotten it. The skirl of the pipes, the swirl of the kilts, and the gunfire shooting down unarmed uh, Yemeni people. But the Yemeni people prevailed uh, over uh, British uh, imperial control, and they have prevailed over the uh, coalition uh, involving the U.S. and Britain, uh, but led by Saudi Arabia and the UAE, they have prevailed over that. Uh, they have for 10 years been fighting. Now they're going to fight Joe Biden. How's that likely to go? Well, it appears to me that the the um, the Ansar Allah, the Yemen leadership, has created a dynamic for the U.S. empire that I would analogize to quicksand. You know, one thing we know about a person who gets stuck in quicksand, the more they struggle, the quicker they seal their own doom. And what's going on now is if the U.S. decides they want to attack Yemen, if they want to, then Yemen has some options, which is to attack U.S. ships, which in that instance, and here's what's important, because I used to be involved in insurance. If you have insurance, what uh, almost all insurance policies say, they will not pay in a war zone. In the event that they that a firefight starts, shall we say, with missiles between the U.S. in the Red Sea area, the U.S. and Yemen, all of the shipping um, uh, companies will then have to face the reality that their insurances have declared the area a war zone and they will have no insurance in a war zone. So if the U.S. attacks Yemen, they, by their own actions, close the entire area to all shipping, not just shipping that goes to Israel. And of course, they create the possibility that Yemen could attack infrastructure in some of the local um, uh, oil producing countries. So this is, a, as I said, it's quicksand. If the U.S. empire decides to struggle, they're going to go down faster. Have they walked into this with their eyes wide shut? I mean, has there been any debate uh, in the U.S.? Does anybody know anything about uh, the Yemenis and their capabilities? 
Uh, not really. You know, there this does get somewhat reported on the um, uh, uh, on the mainstream media, but you know, there's a lot of propaganda involved. I think one of the interesting dynamics here also is the fact that the leaders of Yemen are acting in concert with the population. If you read about read um, and, and research this, you'll find that the population of Yemen is supporting their leaders completely. In fact, most of the people around the Middle East are supporting Yemen, and most of the people a lot a lot of people around the world um, are supporting what Yemen is doing because most people want a ceasefire. While on the other side, Joe Biden is not only not consulting with his people, 80, 76 to 80 percent of the constituents of his own party, if you look at the various polls, oppose what he's doing. His polls are in the trash. He's at 34 percent right now. Not that I'm sure he, he really knows that, but hey, I'm sure his handlers at least know that. So he is going against the wishes of the people in his own party in his own country and he is now in opposition to people who are wholly unified um, against uh, the U.S. empire's machinations in the Middle East. Now lastly Garland and I'm always grateful for your time. Uh, I just read out some breaking news uh, about uh, Catholic nuns uh, being murdered in Gaza this evening. Uh, the convent of Mother Teresa's Mother Teresa, the convent founded by Mother Teresa, her nuns, uh, was blown up uh, yesterday. Parishioners were killed in the Holy Family Church at Christmas time by Israeli snipers. The Pope has become more and more bold in his denunciation of them. The mild-mannered Cardinal Nichols of uh, the, the Westminster Cathedral uh, was asked on Sky News, so you don't accept the word of the Israel Defense Force? And the Cardinal answered in a word, no. So just how reckless does this whole thing have to become before someone calls a halt to it? Any straws in the wind in Washington on that? Uh, not at this point. And, you know, I would argue that what's going on now in Gaza is a bookend. On one end, the first bookend was, in fact, the beginning of the U.S. empire, which was started with what? You know, they um, genocided the, 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 the indigenous population. They committed slavery and all types of ter terrible things for many, many years. And then they argued that was the old us. You know, that was before we were enlightened like we are. We're totally different now, and we would never do these kinds of things again. And now here is the bookend, the Gaza conflict, if you will, genocide, whatever you want to call it, is the other, uh, is the bookend on the end of the U.S. empire. The U.S. empire now has no moral standing in uh, in the world. The, not even uh, the leadership and the ruling elite in uh, the U.S. empire does not even have moral standing amongst the people of this, uh, of this nation. So I think that what's going on in Gaza, this is it. This is game over. No more Tony Blinken running around the world pointing at other people saying that they are committing human rights activities or they, they're authoritarians. All of that thing, all of that stuff will be laughed at by the world. This is the final chapter in the precipitous um, downfall of, a, of, 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 a, of an empire that's uh, been involved in just terrible active actions for its entire existence. I'm into all that. Merry Christmas to you. Garland Nixon, thanks for joining us on the mother Thank of you. all talk shows. Always a pleasure. Coming up after a short break,
is Dmitry Polyansky, the Russian UN ambassador. How about that then? You'll want to see it, I promise you. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Ambassador Polyansky from the Russian Federation delegation to the United Nations. So he's a very busy man uh, these days, and we're very lucky to get him. Excellency, thank you for joining us. Before I turn to what I invited you on to speak about, can I ask if you're in a position to update us on what's happening on the ceasefire resolution uh, on Gaza, which Russia and China and the Arab countries have been trying to uh, hammer out? And I did read that the desperate struggle is for a resolution that the U.S. will not veto. Doesn't that just mean it would be a resolution that if the U.S. would not veto it, it wouldn't be worth having? Well, uh, thank you for having me, George. Uh, actually, the resolution that we are about to have, and it's not yet guaranteed, is, of course, uh, quite weak, and we are very disappointed with that. However, it's not in, um, in our tradition to comment uh, the in internal affairs of Security Council until we haven't gone public on this. Uh, I know that the negotiations continue to get some kind of a text uh, which would be acceptable for everybody, which is, again, not yet guaranteed. So. Uh, I think that the last postponement, as we were informed, uh, happened today, and uh, we are about to to vote uh, tomorrow in the uh, before noon. That was that's what the Ecuadorian presidency uh, told us. I don't think it's worth waiting any any much longer because the uh, picture is already clear, and uh, very few people believe that there will be a breakthrough in the Security Hub Council. However, it's up to penholders, and the penholders in this case. Uh, United Arab Emirates uh, to decide on uh, when to have to hold the vote, whether to put it to vote or not, whether to withdraw text or not. So that's why uh, we are not in the driving driver's seat uh, in this case. We were in the driver's seat in several other occasions, but not in this one. Uh, you must be anxious about developments in the Red Sea. Uh, actually, the only shipping that can now pass untrammeled uh, through the Red Sea are Russian tankers. Another victory for Putin, they will say. Uh, everyone else's shipping uh, has more or less stopped. Uh, the port uh, of Elat has uh, ceased operating. Uh, the cost of insurance has gone through the roof. So no one, you don't actually have to blockade the Red Sea. It's effectively blockaded itself by the existence of a conflict there. Now, uh, President uh, Biden has assembled an armada uh, from the likes of the Seychelles, uh, Netherlands, uh, Bahrain, those mighty navies are steaming uh, towards the Red Sea. Uh, how concerned are you that if war breaks out between this um, not-so-grand coalition uh, and the uh, armed forces of Yemen, uh, that it will drag in Iran and thus drag in all the friends of Iran. How concerned are you in New York about that? Well, we're quite concerned. And, of course, uh, let's try to bar hypothetical scenario. Uh, but we discussed this issue in the Security Council in closed consultations. 
so uh, on the one hand we absolutely share the necessity uh, to uh, provide freedom of uh, maritime navigation there and we joined the others in uh, in the press statement of the UN Security Council uh, calling on Houthis to not, not to, uh, to to make such steps on the other hand we warned that uh, any kind of uh, force uh, reply uh, reply by force in such circumstances uh, risk uh, bringing the situation further to to the brink of uh, of confrontation and th this is the scenario that we want to avoid we, we also understand that that of course uh, what's happening there is uh, is a reflection of situation in gaza and uh, the more situation there aggravates uh, the more chance that the situation uh, in in the in yemen and around the red sea will also become quite problematic well, all Yemen are doing is applying economic sanctions of the kind so beloved by the empire uh, in so many theaters, including against Russia, uh, I may say. Uh, they're saying that uh, you are massacring Palestinian children, so we will not allow your ships or any ships going to or from your ports to pass through uh, our Red Sea. Um, most people in the world think that's rather a noble thing. Well, uh, there there is certain logic, of course, uh, there if you look at this from from Middle Eastern and the Yemeni perspective. But we also should look at this from the perspective of world trade routes and uh, safety of passage and safety of navigation. There are certain commitments of all the countries, and uh, what what is happening there is. A is very dangerous and we certainly do not support uh, this kind of, of actions uh, though again we uh, intend to see the, the bigger picture and the bigger picture implies also the situation in Gaza and we think that we need to concentrate there and to to solve this issue uh, as, as, uh, when this issue is solved uh, it will be easier to uh, to solve the issue in Red Sea for, for sure let me turn then to what I did want to talk to you about, uh, Ukraine. Blinken said this evening uh, that the Christmas presents uh, in the post for Ukraine uh, will be the last. This is rather a significant statement because it was preceded for the last nearly two years with as long as it takes, we'll do anything that is necessary and so on. So the United States logjam in Congress, the palace state uh, of their economy and finances, but perhaps above all, uh, they're turning away to another theater of conflict in which they're deeply involved, namely uh, the Middle East and West Asia. Uh, what do you think the main impact will be uh, on the uh, war in Ukraine, the special military operation of effectively the pulling of the plugs uh, by by the United States, and one presumes its vassal states also. Uh, well, I, I think that we shouldn't concentrate too much on the issue of whether the uh, the money, the help, uh, will be given to Ukraine, or will will it not be given in what quantities? Frankly, we do not calculate, uh, we do not count uh, somebody else's money. We only calculate them and count in Security Council. When it comes to the discussion on how how many good and noble things could have been done with this kind of financing in the world, that's the only way we compare the volumes that uh, U.S. and other allies are spending for arms and not for development. 
And this is not only us. As for the uh, Ukrainian situation, well, I, I understand that at some point of time, maybe there will be a decision on some additional, uh, additional money for Ukraine, some additional weapons. But the issue is bigger, and the issue is that everybody understands that it is not uh, making the difference in the battlefield. So enormous money was spent in Ukraine, enormous amount of armaments were sent to Ukraine. Uh, it didn't help uh, Ukraine prevail as everybody was, ho was hoping, though uh, de facto the whole NATO bloc is, is now behind Ukraine. But uh, the problem is not in, in, for Ukraine is not in arms now. The problem is in people. Because the people don't want to fight, that's quite clear. They didn't want to fight uh, uh, from from day one, but there were some nationalists and uh, some people who were uh, who were very much determined to fight for Kiev regime. Now it's very difficult to find uh, really those who want to fight to fight for Kiev regime. We all see the uh, the films, uh, the video reels about forced conscription which is already being named uh, forced conscription to the grave by the Ukrainian society. So people are avoiding this because people are very much uh, disappointed and disenchanted in Zelensky and his regime. He promised one thing when he came to power in 2019. He promised uh, equal rights to Russian speakers and the others. He promised respect for their uh, national, uh, historic, uh, cultural identity. He promised uh, to, to bring peace uh, through Minsk agreements uh, with his compatriots in the East. He deceived uh, all the voters who voted for, it, for them, and they voted massively. 75% was his support. So he did everything to the contrary, what he promised. And he just made his uh, country a geopolitical tool of the U.S., uh, a geopolitical pawn at the chessboard, and his, his countrymen as cannon fodder for the U.S. and NATO uh, interests. People understand this, people see this, and that's why there are no more volunteers in Ukraine, and they now uh, acknowledge this fact. People don't want to fight. So no matter how many armaments, uh, how many money you would send to war in Ukraine, the problem in Ukraine is the fatigue and the problem is the disenchantment, the fact that the people of Ukraine now understand who is their real enemy, and that's not Russia, that's the Kiev regime and Zelensky. In, uh, in normal uh, times, uh, abnormal times too, I mean, I'm thinking of the Stauffenberg uh, plot to destroy the top of the, of the Hitler regime. Uh, when, when a dictatorship uh, like the Tentacle. one Zelensky now leads uh, begins to lose and its people lose faith in the way that you have described, uh, well, the devil finds work for idle hands, we may say. Uh, it's quite likely that the tensions between Zelensky and Zeluzhny, Zelensky and, uh, and uh, the, the mayor of uh, Kiev, uh, the, the world champion uh, boxer, uh, th this may break into a fight, no? These, these, they are right, like uh, you know, spiders in, in a box. So we, of course, uh, read these uh, news sources, but I don't think we count on this. Uh, our president repeatedly confirmed that the aims and the goals of our special military operation uh, remain in force, and we are continuing to implement them through military means uh, as long as uh, there are no meaningful negotiations. Uh, and, of course, Ukraine is not ready for meaningful negotiations. You know that Zelensky himself uh, banned himself from uh, any negotiations with Russian government by adopting a law uh, more than one year ago. So it's ridiculous to speak about 
any negotiations. They had opportunity to get uh, quite a good deal uh, last uh, April, uh, but they were talked out of this deal by by UK and by the US. Uh, now, of course, they regret it very much. It's quite visible because they will never get anything even comparable to this in such circumstances. But but uh, what can what can they do? Uh, I frankly do not know what their strategy, and uh, it's not our intention to to look so much at Ukraine, what they are doing, how they are fighting, who will be there. Uh, we are uh, fighting there with the uh, with the neo-Nazi uh, regime, Russophobic regime, which was installed not by Zelensky himself. He wasn't. It was installed by the uh, anti-constitutional coup in 2014. So Zelensky came to power when people believed that he would change anything. When they were disappointed in Poroshenko and they, cho they chose Zelensky. So now they are disappointed in Zelensky. I don't know who can deliver on the promises that he made. Uh, for sure, not him, but it's up to Ukrainians to decide. We continue the implementation of the forces of the uh, tasks of our special military operation, demilitarization of Ukraine. First of all, we already completed this goal, but the West uh, provides Ukraine with more and more arms, uh, which are being destroyed. Uh, Denazification of Ukraine, which is also a very important uh, thing, because we can't tolerate a neo-Nazi state at our borders. The regime at our borders, it was absolutely clear uh, from the outset. There are other goals, like uh, the rights of Russia. Ah, we lost uh, Ambassador Polyansky's uh, line. We'll try and get back to him. Fascinating stuff, though. Ambassador Polyansky is back on the line. Ambassador, uh, thank you uh, for your perseverance. Uh, I, I was making the point, in a way, uh, about the philosophy now behind the special military operation. Uh, its demands were clear enough. Its goals were clear enough. But recently, both you and, even more importantly, uh, President Putin himself have, uh, as it were, begun to think out loud. So President Putin was talking yesterday about the, the Russian people in other parts of the East and the South uh, of Ukraine. And I'm one who believed that all of this effort uh, will not have been made just to stop at the uh, Dnipro. Uh, the places like Odessa, which are manifestly Russian cities, Russian Jewish citadels, actually, and many other parts right along the coast, are effectively parts of Russia that were given away, ironically, uh, effectively by the by the Soviet Union uh, back uh, in the day. Because let's uh, remind people, Kiev itself used to be the capital of Russia. This was all Russia. The word Ukraine means the borderlands. So are we in the, on, the, uh, on the cusp of an ingathering uh, of all the Russian-speaking people in Ukraine? And that will, of course, change the map uh, of uh, Western Ukraine very considerably indeed. Well, uh, George, of course, I don't have a crystal ball and I don't have the exact plans of our special military operation, as you might imagine. So we have uh, very professional military people who are planning this, uh, judging on the resources on the ground, uh, judging on the situation. What I can tell you is, first of, first of all, of course, 
there are a lot of people, uh, I would say very many people uh, in, in Odessa, in Kiev, and other places in Ukraine who are waiting for us. And uh, it's not a secret. Uh, they are making appeals. Uh, and uh, I, I would say that uh, the Ukrainian uh, propaganda initially, they, it was speaking about some kind of guerrilla movement in the territories if they would be taken uh, by Russia, as they put it. So look at the new regions of Russia. There is no guerrilla movement. There are only uh, the sabotage groups uh, which are being sent to by Kiev and which are being neutralized because of the cooperation of local citizens. This is a big disappointment for Kiev regime. So people there uh, in our new territories absolutely support Russia. Uh, I'm absolutely sure that the support will be uh, at the same level uh, in the other regions of Ukraine. Uh, the question is that this war was, was never about territory. It's a big mistake to, to think that we were after Ukraine uh, because of territory, because we wanted uh, Ukraine to be Russified, uh, we wanted to do away with the Ukrainian language. This is not true. So it all started to protect Russian-speaking population in the east, uh, in, in Donbass, uh, which was uh, heavily shelled uh, on the eve of our special military operation. There were hundreds of thousands of refugees uh, coming, coming to, to Moscow, to other cities, to Rostov. So that was the initial moment. Uh, nobody was thinking about territories, about some kind of inclusion of, of new regions uh, in, in Russia. That was not the plan. But of course, uh, the plans are being adopted uh, with the course of special military operation. And uh, we all see now, uh, it, it's quite clear when you read uh, Ukrainian telegram channels and Russian telegram channels, which is the, the main source of information for, for me, for example, about, about special military operation, uh, you, you see that the Ukrainian front is, a, is about to crumble. It's about to crumble in the stronghold of this front near Donetsk, in, in, in Avdiivka, in Marinka. These strongholds were built for several years. Uh, they are very heavily armed and fortified. And uh, it's, it's, it will be a big turning point in the whole campaign when these uh, strongholds uh, will be liberated. And uh, we, I also can refer to the statements of uh, President Putin and, uh, and other uh, Russian leaders that uh, we will have to uh, push uh, Ukrainian troops back uh, to, the, to, the, to the places from where they will not be able uh, to, to threaten Russian territory and to threaten our citizens and to, to threaten our lands. So all this combined, uh, I think, give certain reasons to those who believe that the uh, special military operation will be continued uh, towards uh, Kiev, towards Odessa, towards other cities. I don't want to speculate on this because it implies the life of many people and it implies uh, also the um, ardent work of my compatriots uh, who are there on the battlefield. But I think that this, this is the expectation for everyone that this uh, threat from Ukraine uh, should be neutralized, that there should never be any threat from these lands uh, to Russia and there shouldn't be any, uh, any policy of this kind towards uh, Russian-speaking population and Russian people. So I think that uh, that's, that's what I can say about this situation uh, today. Now, you, uh, I don't know if it was a speech, the text of a speech or an article that I wrote from you, but I, I thought it was uh, particularly profound, if I may say so. Uh, it talked about what uh, is necessary as a security uh, infrastructure or architecture, rather, 
for the future. And you, you made the uh, point uh, that uh, what's needed is not NATO uh, versus Russia. Uh, it is all of Europe, including Europe's largest country, Russia, uh, all of Europe having a security architecture amongst themselves uh, where no one on the European continent will or can threaten the security of any other part of the continent. Develop your ideas for us, if you will. Well, it's not my ideas, frankly. It's, it's something that is uh, uh, within our foreign policy concept that the concept of uh, indivisible uh, European security. And you know that on the eve of our special military operation, we reached out uh, to NATO, we reached out to Washington, proposing the draft treaties on European security, which were uh, condescendingly rejected uh, by Washington and, and by Brussels. And that was our last attempt to come to certain deal, which was, of course, uh, include the provision of, of Ukraine uh, remaining neutral and not, not joining NATO. The biggest mistake that our European neighbors are doing right now, at least some of them, I see that there are more and more sobering, sobering voices in these countries, but still, uh, they somehow try to build security architecture against Russia and not within Russia. And this is a very, very big mistake. I think this leads us nowhere and that doesn't eliminate all the uh, possible uh, reasons uh, for conflicts and for threats in the European continent. So we're, we're long advocating uh, this uh, notion of indivisible security when security of one state is not being uh, provided at the expense of the security of the other. It, it's very it's very simple, but it, NATO doesn't fit in this picture, at least in the way it is right now. NATO is uh, an alliance which initially was uh, perceived uh, having uh, Russia as an enemy or as an adversary, to, to put it mildly. That's why of course, we will have inevitably, after the end of the Ukrainian crisis, we will inevitably have uh, to, uh, to wage discussions on European security, uh, because otherwise, of course, the continent will remi remain very much fra fragile. And if uh, the security of European continent it will be uh, provided at the expense of uh, Russian interests uh, and with, with direct threats to Russian interests, I don't think it will be a sustainable construction that will be favorable for every nation on the continent, uh, not only Russia. Ambassador, thanks for joining us. Sorry about the numerous interruptions in our Thank discussion. You. Very Thank good you. of you to join us on a very, very busy night. After this short break, a very special guest, Gonzalo Lira Sr., father of the captive, Gonzalo Lira, formerly of this parish for a very long time. Stay tuned. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. 
Gonzalo Lira Jr. was an honored guest of ours many, many times. He racked up uh, enormous audiences uh, for his brave and uh, counterintuitive commentary on what was really going on in the war in Ukraine. He was arrested, then released, and then arrested, and then fled to the Hungarian border where he was again arrested. Since when, he has disappeared, apparently into a void. No trace can be found of Antony Blinken or Joe Biden asking for their citizens' release, or even inquiring as to his health, his safety, his life. Now, very recently, Gonzalo Lira Sr., who's also been a guest on this show before, made it onto the Tucker Carlson show and spoke so powerfully and movingly about what happened to his son, it struck me that that must have made a difference. Let's find out. Welcome back to the show, uh, Mr. Gonzalo Lira Sr. Uh, I presume you can bring us no good news uh, because if there were good news, we'd probably have heard of it. Uh, but what do you know at this point about Gonzalo's plight? First of all, thank you, George, once again for having me in your show. It's the senior hour. Almost a fortnight ago, I was interviewed by a well-known political commentator and writer. It made a splash. Because Elon Musk saw that interview and sent a message directly to President Zelensky. Zelensky answered through his police, the SBU. I would like to read some of the major points of this answer from the C from the SBU. They say Lira who has a dual citizenship of Chile and the United States, was arrested in Kharkiv region for promoting Russian aggression in Ukraine and spreading pro-Kremlin ideas on social media. My answer to this accusation is very simple, George. Gonzalo never promoted Russian aggression. He plainly kept saying that Ukraine would never win a war against Russia. As for the spread of Kremlin ideas, it's a very puzzling answer from the SPU. It's a very vague accusation. Then they went further and accused them. The investigation revealed that Lira's video denied Russia's war crimes and justified Russian aggression. Lira claimed that Ukraine was shelling its own territory and the country was ruled by a neo-Nazi regime. My answer, there have been repeated accusations of war crimes from both sides, George. Gonzalo described Russia's aggression due to the ultimatum that Putin gave Zelensky not to join NATO. 
that was all he was asking for. Putting like President Kennedy could not accept another NATO country with missiles pointing at Moscow on its border. Biden and Victoria Nuland, as Gonzalo accused them on March 2022, which is uh, months after the invasion. The, the real perpetrators of this war in Ukraine's and Ukraine's destruction are Biden and Victoria Nuland. The USA gave the red cape to Zelensky and promised him that the USA and NATO would help him Ukraine defeat Russia. Rubbish. Many information sources accuse the Zelensky regime as pro-Nazi. There was a demonstration in Canada, as you very well know, George, and mm -hmm. I'll leave it at that. Another accusation. He was initially released under house arrest after posting bail, but was arrested again in July when he tried to cross the border into Hungary. He was kept, George, from May the 1st to July the 6th, 67 days, a comunicado. The reason the SBU released Gonzalo at that time under, under bail was because of the pressure of the Chilean government, George. I live in Santiago, Chile, by the way. He jumped bail, George, because he was told that he would be found guilty and would serve eight years in prison. Musk made his demand in response to a post by former Fox anchor, Tucker Carlson, who accused the Ukrainian authorities of torturing Gonzalo Lira, yes, torturing Gonzalo Lira in an Ukrainian prison since July for the crime of criticizing Zelensky. My son, George, was tortured in May and June of this year. He was extorted of $70,000 or he would lose his left eye with a toothpick, George, scratching his eye with a toothpick. He pointed out all of this in three videos that he sent up in the air before crossing the border to Hungary. Unfortunately, he didn't make it. He had a broken rib and severely wounded in his chest because of the blows. And he pointed out, the guards didn't torture me. They outsource torture. The fellow mates tortured my son. The U.S. Embassy, George, has not done a thing. During those 67 days before he was released on July the 6th by paying a, a, a bond, you know, under a bail, they never visited Michael Gonzalo. Nobody knew how he was, where he goes, he, 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 he was. And again, let me repeat, the U.S. Embassy did nothing. <clears throat> but in every single U.S. Embassy around the world, there's a big statement 
if an American citizen <clears throat> is detained, the embassy comes into his help immediately, George, providing an attorney, yeah. providing even extra food if he's in need of George. My son never received any support from the U.S. Embassy. What they did after he was once again detained, which was on August the 1st, because he couldn't uh, cross the border to Hungary, they provided video conference with Gonzalo. Video conference is public nuisance. The detainee will not be able to tell you what is going on. Nobody went physically to see him. That is the way the U.S. One, embassy. One word, uh, yeah, one word from them, Mr. Lira, would see Gonzalo released. One word. Uh, Ukraine is yes. completely a client state of the United States. We've now got no less than the world's most celebrated journalist, Tucker Carlson, on the case. We've got the titan. Of, uh, of new technology, Elon Musk on the case. What is stopping the U.S. from saying, for God's sake, uh, just kick this guy out of Ukraine and stop this suppurating sore uh, from, uh, from giving us this kind of pain? I don't understand that, sir. Well, <clears throat> let me give you a preview. I was communicating with Gonzalo's attorney, Victor Tsersakovsky. He doesn't speak English, George. So we translate each other, okay, through WhatsApp. Victor told me that Gonzalo has a court date next Friday, 22nd. They are translating what happened last December 12th, which was his prior court appointment. He's been seven months in prison without any trial. And it's not so much for freedom of speech, George. That's what Victor was telling me. It's because they put this new law, the Article 432, which Gonzalo was totally unaware of. Article 432, George, if you say openly in the air that you don't like Zelensky, you're dead. I mean, to that extent is Article 432. Gonzalo obviously was unaware. I pointed out to Victor, Gonzalo is not an Ukrainian nation, national. Gonzalo is a foreign citizen. How could he be aware of laws that have been passed recently? Deport him for crying out loud. What are we waiting for? Exactly. But let me tell you. Exactly. That's you know, the obvious solution. Well, you, 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 you did it exactly what it is. This is the USA war. Listen. Gonzalo was born in the States while I was doing economics work in the USA. I went to college at 19 years old when I finished my high school in Santiago, Georgia. 
I lived in England before, by the way, between I was 10 to 13 years old. And I had the pleasure of living in your beautiful England, a country where law still prevails. I live there. Don't know about and it. I have always been a British fan. And I worked for Rio Tinto for a whole bunch of years, George, by the way. Anyway, getting back to the, this is Biden's war. This is a USA war. The USA, as President Eisenhower pointed out in his last speech, George, and pretty sure you know, he was afraid that the USA would convert into a nation exporting armaments in the world. Well, that's exactly what they are an exporter of armaments in the world. They lost against China. Any other good is made by China. The USA is exporting armaments. So what is its marketing strategy? Make wars in the world. They are the ones that caused the war against Russia. They told Zelensky, they're puppet. Here, take the red rope, just like the bullfighter, you know, and go after Putin. Well, that's what exactly he did, because Biden promised, we'll help you with the NATO countries, and we're going to beat the Russians. What I said before, which is rubbish. You will never win a war against Russia in Europe. How can you put, put uh, foot soldiers? The American army is not the one that was in 1991, like Colonel McGregor says. You know Colonel McGregor very well. They no, could no, never they're, win they're a wearing war. dresses. They're wearing dresses now. Uh, Mr. Lira, and the injustice time is short. I, uh, I, I ask you uh, if you are able to uh, tell us to whom our audience should write. Uh, how can we help, is what I'm saying. What can we do yeah. to free Gonzalo Lira from prison? Well, George, I think the, 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 the logical, uh, you know, road to get Gonzalo free is to go to Zelensky and Biden. It's the only way, George. Let's face it. You said it before, and everybody is saying, Biden, the State Department, just a phone call to Zelensky and Gonzalo is free in 10 minutes. They are the ones yeah. that still have this man who has, let me try, if I may, George, this is Gonzalo, my son, with his son, my grandson, Ramon. He lives in Ukraine. He lives in a safe country, uh, uh, city in Ukraine, George. How can you have a man, a father, accused of such a nonsense for crying out loud? I mean, this is pure nonsense. They just didn't like Gonzalo's speech. Gonzalo, on March, a uh, month after the Russians invaded Ukraine, said, this is a futile war, and it's going to end with the destruction of Ukraine. I have to uh, take your leave now. Uh, I'm going to take your advice and ask everyone 
to contact the American government and the Ukrainian government. So there are embassies in your country, wherever you're watching this, write to the Ukrainian ambassador and write to the American ambassador, unless you are in America, in which case write to the White House. Raise the demand. Directly. Fight for the freedom, for the life of Gonzalo Lira. I bid you good night, sir, and thank you for appearing on the show again. Very, very kind of you uh, to do so. It's a legend, Tommy, in Glasgow. Gone yourself, Tom. Assalamu alaikum, brother. How you doing? Oh, alaikum salam. Very good. By the grace of God. What do you want to say? Yeah, uh, long time since I spoke to you, brother. I've been busy uh, with uh, my wee mum. She's got Alzheimer's and, and cancer, and I'm I'm looking uh, forward to having a wee good Christmas with her. Unlike all the poor people in, in Palestine, George, that uh, are lying there slaughtered, that this genocide that is, is happening. And I just wanted to, I mean, I've been broken-hearted, George, for the last so many weeks, like everybody else, broken in tears. Every single thing that you see on, you know, Al Jazeera Press TV, the rest of the news is just absolute filth. And, you know, the, the lies and the way they treat people, uh, it's beyond a joke. But the, the, the place is held holy to the three monotheistic religions. There was a, a, a night uh, journey that was undertaken by the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that ascended, went from Mecca, miraculous night journey, that ascended from uh, f- from the, the Al-Quds, uh, the, the Al-Quds Mosque, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and ascended to heaven with all the other uh, prophets of God and messengers of God, and recited uh, the, the Holy Prayer. And uh, when they came down, he was asked by the companions when they came back, and at that point, you know, it's, it's, it's well known for all the Muslims that are out there what happened that night. They all know, I'm not preaching, I'm just passing this out to other people out there, how important a place it is that, uh, you know, for Isa bin Maria, uh, the son of Mary, uh, Jesus, as he's known, that he was there leading the prayers. And people, uh, the companions of, of Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, said, what, what, what was Isa like? And he said he had the most uh, amazing dark skin, uh, which means it was black. And from the Ethiopian, if you look at the Ethiopians today, have got their, their heads, you can see the real Jews uh, from back from, from the time that was there. And anyone who knows about the, you know, the Jewish uh, peoples for 70 AD, uh, when the Jewish diaspora created, they would not return until the Messiah had returned. Now the Muslims hold that the Messiah will, will return against the false prophet, the Dajalic system that is in place, that the Palestinian babies fight uh, and God bless the babies in the incubators, the people of the year, Palestinian babies and women and men for fighting against the most terrific evil. God bless them. God bless all your listeners and what we can do as a people out there because we will be held accountable. I feel guilty as anything because have we done enough? George, you've done everything and everybody's done as much, but we all know it's not been enough because these people are suffering. Where is the, the, the Arab world? If the Arab people are out there, the leaders, I've got a lot of problems against many of them, but you said something earlier on, George, the unity of the Arabs, for heaven's sake, get something going because we should be all standing outside that Rafa camp and looking to bust the doors to get in 
in to get this aid? What is stopping the aid? The, uh, you know, the people that have been killed has been tragic. 20,000, 40,000, thousands left that are unaccounted under the rubble. But now, what goes on now, uh, millions could be at risk of starvation, disease. The world has to act, for goodness sake. If it's not done by the next three to four days, you know, Heaven forbid us all, because this is a catastrophe. And George, what you have done, I've listened to you all these shows. Josh in, in Arizona, part of the the militia wing of the diplomatic brigade. God bless you as well, brother. I've heard everything. So this is me just phoning home, brother. But I love you, bits, and keep up the fight because through people like yourself to bring peace and justice to this world, channels like yours have to be exploded. Tell ten to tell ten, and God bless and Merry Christmas for people out there. As and as I say, Palestine all the way, free Palestine. Thank you, Tommy. A very powerful and emotional call to bring the show uh, to an end. Uh, we'll be back, God willing, on Christmas Eve uh, at the usual time of uh, 7 o'clock. Forgive me, I'm quite emotionally affected by that last call. Uh, I would add only this. I don't know if Santa would be shot down over Bethlehem by an Israeli missile, I'm pretty sure Jesus himself, if he came back, would be gunned down on the bleeding land of Palestine, on the bleeding holy land. The poll, 19,261 people voted. Almost all of you thought Santa is in danger. I'll be back, God willing on Sunday at 7 p.m. UK time. The Christmas Eve special, either.